There was the future for these disciples in their situation, fishing all night, caught nothing, an empty net in the morning light, and then the Lord showed himself again. And then the verse goes on to say, and in this manner the Lord showed himself. Now, this, of course, was after the resurrection, and it was the third appearance of the Lord in his newly resurrected state, and it was the last miracle that the Lord would ever do on earth associated with his earthly ministry. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, minister of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale. And we look forward to having you along with us at our church services. Maybe this is a good time to consider coming, worshiping with us, making this your church home to walk with God, serve the Lord in this new year. Our joy is to bring God's Word to God's people, that they may grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, and that we may be a witness to the lost. Let's pray that in this year to come, God will turn many souls to light in Jesus, to the safety of the Savior, and to the knowledge of redemption by the cross. We need to pray for a burden for a lost world, a world that is going to hell, a world that is rebellious to God, and God is calling out a people for his own name. We want to be a part of that ministry of redemption bringing the good news of the gospel to precious souls, wherever they are, rich or poor, uh, the, the man going to work, struggling to make ends meet, the woman at home looking after her children, boys and girls growing up in the, the wickedness of this society. We need to pray that God in mercy will turn the hearts of men and women to himself. Today's message is on the disciples fishing all night and catching nothing. And what a terrible thing as we reflect on the church of the Lord Jesus accomplishing so little. We have so many means today, but we accomplish so little. So few souls being converted, so few fish in the net. And we, we desperately need the Lord to come and to bless the ministry of his own church. And so I pray that you'll take these things to heart and that the Lord will bless you today. We have a few hymns. How great thou art and fairest, Lord Jesus. But we're coming back to the question we had last uh, program, and it's on why is Peter not mentioned in the book of Romans? And again, that was, uh, uh, well, very disturbing because of all the claims that are made concerning Peter as the founder of the church, and upon him the whole church is based and, of course, that succession of popes that is claimed. And, of course, that whole thing is a fallacy. And uh, the reality is that Peter was never in Rome. This epistle that Paul writes, Peter was an apostle at that time. Indeed, he was an apostle before Paul. And uh, we are told here in Romans chapter 1, where Paul writes to the people at Rome, the recipients of the letter, and he says, to all that be in Rome. Beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And 
It's exceeding strange. Indeed, it would be offensive if Peter had been then the pastor or bishop of Rome, and Paul was writing to these Christians and the God's people at Rome and neglecting to mention him. Uh, That certainly uh, would not fit the bill today if you were writing to a city in Rome and not mentioning the church leader. Well, the claim of Rome that there is a an unbroken link or succession of church leaders, uh, bishops, popes from Peter right to uh, the present-day pope is a fallacy. It cannot be established. And there was at least 300 years when there were no popes in Rome. And as I say, Peter, uh, there is no evidence that he was ever there. The Bible gives no information that Peter was ever in Rome. The claims of the Church of Rome about Peter being the first bishop really are spurious. Peter was an apostle to the circumcision and to strangers scattered abroad in 1 Peter chapter 1. Also, Paul had a policy of not building on another man's foundation. He said in Romans 15 verse 20, Yea, so have I strive to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. And so everything that we learn here cuts against the notion that Peter was the first pope or first bishop or leader, pastor of the church, uh, the group of Christians at Rome. There is nothing blank, zilch about this, and it throws the whole line of thinking into condemnation. And so I trust that this might be just a little stirring thought to your heart and that it might uh, cause you to search it out. Uh, That's what Bereans do. We search the scriptures to see if these things be so. And so we throw out the challenge. Where in the Bible does it say that Peter was ever at Rome? I'm welcome. I invite any... uh, proofs on that from the scriptures, uh, not from the uh, twisted writings of men, but from the scriptures themselves. Where does it say Peter was ever in Rome? You're not going to find it. I trust the Lord will stir your heart today and that you will prepare your heart as we worship him today through his word, coming now to this hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus. Let's unite in prayer a moment. Father, we praise Thee for these hymns that we may give all glory unto Your name. And we do thank Thee for lifting us out of the pit of sin and putting us upon a sure rock, that gospel foundation. And now, Lord, we pray that You will, by Your grace and by Your Spirit, put us to work. Lord, grant that that knowledge, that grace, that blessing that You've poured into our lives will now become the very motive of true, earnest service unto God. 
And so we pray that you will minister to us and bless us now. Speak to every heart. Give liberty and utterance in the preaching of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, we're back to John 21, and tonight we're going to be looking at seven men in a boat with a net but no fish. That might just describe the state of the Lord's church in many parts of this country and indeed much of the Western world, because we have to say that we're all failures in God's work. As to seeing the church grow, as to conquering the world, and to seeing men and women converted, well, we too are like these men in a boat with a net. But where are the fish? Now, of course, we look for hope in the year to come. And we have to be honest and frank and ask the question, is there any hope for the gospel church in this year to come? And of course, the answer is not if we keep trusting in men. Men cannot do this work by themselves. These disciples were defeated, and indeed they were very unsure of what led ahead of them. And perhaps tonight you feel like that. Perhaps you're not at all sure how you are going to engage and get involved and become effective in serving the Lord in this very year to come. We can all agree that there is a great need. There's a vast amount of gospel work to be done. We don't have to go very far to see the need all around us. We think of the schools that are in this area, elementary schools. There's a new high school that's going up in this Cloverdale area due to the, the pressing need of young families that are moving into the area. They are growing up with a humanistic message and agenda. They are hearing nothing but the secularism and the humanism of the education program of today. And we need, by God's grace, to reach families and to reach men and women and young people with the gospel. Now, I think this incident that we're looking at here tonight in this early part of John 21 was the Lord's way of preparing these disciples for Pentecost, because they needed to learn that it was no vain thing to wait on the Lord. They needed to learn that if the Lord was with them, that that empty net would be filled with fish, because very soon they were to be going up into the upper room, and there they were to tarry in prayer and wait until God the Holy Spirit came down and gave them the power to evangelize the world. And I have the mindset that the Lord was preparing these disciples for that very event. Now, I don't blame Peter and these disciples for going fishing. They were in a state of holding. They were somewhat perplexed about what's next. And so, in the vacuum of that time, they said, we're going to fish. 
and off they went on that night. There was nothing else they could do until the Lord came through. And marvelously, the Lord did come through. And the key to this event I see as verse 1, where it says, The Lord showed himself again. And there was the hope. There was the future for these disciples in their situation, fishing all night, caught nothing, an empty net in the morning light. And then the Lord showed himself again. And then the verse goes on to say, And in this manner the Lord showed himself. Now, this, of course, was after the resurrection, and it was the third appearance of the Lord in his newly resurrected state, and it was the last miracle that the Lord would ever do on earth associated with his earthly ministry. It was the very last time that he would demonstrate that he is Lord of all creation. And so, this is a very enlightening passage, and it's full of meaning for us. The hope of Christian work and Christian ministry today is that the Lord will show Himself again, and in that is our hope and our future. Now, there have obviously been days of darkness, days of despair and doubting, days of wondering what is happening here, and we need the Lord to show Himself again. Now, as I read and studied this passage, I really got bogged down in details. There are so many little pointers, little things to, to consider in this passage, but I want to get to the main lesson of the passage, and I want to dig out the hope of this event so that we may find hope for the year to come as we serve the Lord. And for this, as I say, the Lord must show Himself even unto us. We don't want an empty net. We don't want to stand as we go through the year with with nothing to show for our labor for God. And I want us to sum up, and I have endeavored to try and, and position all these little bits and pieces of information into a, a, a proper framework under these three headings. The Lord showed Himself, firstly, by a humbling question. He said, "'Have you any meat?' <laughs> and, of course, that just must have tore the heart right out of these men. Well, have it a thing. Then the next thing was a clear command. The Lord commanded these disciples to cast the net on the right side of the ship. And in that, again, the Lord was showing Himself to the disciples. And then the big thing, of course, was the dramatic catch. And in that dramatic catch, they all had to come to the conclusion it's the Lord. And I think if we go through those three headings, those three uh, uh, angles of this whole story, we'll be a bit able to put together 
the hope that is for God's people and for each one of us here tonight, because I need that hope. I can't go on week after week after week without hope in my heart. And I know you don't want to be listening to a preacher who's just lost all sense of God's with us and God's in this. And I would not want to call people to a prayer meeting if it was all about despair. Surely the prayer meetings of the church is to cry, Lord, we want you to reveal yourself. We want you to show yourself in the midst of your church. And think about it. If there's anywhere the Lord's going to show himself, it's going to be in his church. It's not going to be in the sin iniquity dens of this world. It's not going to be in the baseball diamond. It's not going to be in the worldly places. The Lord surely has promised to be in the midst of his people, in the midst of his church. And for that, we must cry to the Lord. So let's begin then by looking at this humbling question. And here is the Lord. He's standing a hundred yards from the disciples. They're a hundred yards out on the water, and he's on the shore. And he comes to them as a stranger at this point. And he asks the question, have ye any meat? Meaning food, meaning fish. Now, at this time, they didn't know that it was the Lord speaking. You see, the Lord in his risen state could reveal himself or hide himself. He could appear in the midst or he could disappear as he pleased. But the first thing that the Lord needed from these seven disciples in a boat with their net and no fish was a confession of failure. And you get that in their answer, no. I can just hear the pain. I can just feel the agony of heart as they had to give that response. No, we have nothing. That must have been a burning burden in their hearts. If you're a Christian tonight, if you're a Bible believer and you're going to heaven and you're going to glorify the Lord in glory, there's going to be a burning desire in your heart that your life will bear fruit and bring forth a harvest for the glory of the Lord. And when the Lord comes asking, have you any food? And you have to say, no. That's going to hurt. That's going to be so searching and so troubling that you must cry out for help. Now, note Peter, his failure. You'll notice how it began. And, and here's the details I was trying to point earlier. And this is the, the whole difficulty of getting everything slotted into proper place. Where, where did this failure begin? Well, it really began with Peter saying, I go fishing on a whim. And that's Peter. If you want to know the real Peter, here he is. This is the kind of petulant Peter he is. He, he just, hey guys, I go a fishing. And for some reason, they all decided to tag along, get into the boat. And I don't know how that boat held seven men. Can you imagine? It's, it's almost laughable. 
You know, they have discovered these kind of boats that the fishermen used in Galilee. They have been buried in the mud for hundreds of years, and they have, uh, you know, exhumed them or brought them to uh, the surface and tried to recover them and so on. And these are not big vessels. And then they've got their net, and they're trying to cast it on the lake. But it was Peter's whimsical ego, I go a-fishing. Is this not the problem with so much of our evangelism and our effort to reach men for the Lord? Self-directed and not God-directed effort. We think it's obedience, but really it is just self. Something else I noticed, the first two names of the seven in verse 2, Simon, Peter, and Thomas, If I was organizing an outreach, I wouldn't put those two fellows together, because they're both failures. Peter denied the Lord three times, and Thomas, he was the doubter. Just in the previous chapter, it was recorded of him, Thomas Didymus, the twin, the doubter. And here they are, these seven in a boat, and the first two names is Peter, a failure, Thomas, a failure, a doubter, although he did come to faith, and so did Peter. The others follow along, and they had every advantage. They stayed together. There was unity. They fished together. They shared the work. They went without any disagreement. You'll notice in verse 3 that it says, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. There's no debate, no extra discussion. They just jumped into the boat. And in that, they were just following along with Peter's whim. They acted efficiently. They were skilled fishermen, most of them. They did not procrastinate. And yet the result was nothing. They fished all night and caught absolutely nothing. What do we learn from this failure and this extraction of a confession of failure, this humbling question that the Lord brought to these men? What do we learn from this? That all our organization, all our manpower, all our skills, all what we would call our advantages to do evangelistic work or to serve God means nothing if the Lord is not with us. Absolutely nothing. And it doesn't matter what the program is, how effective it appears to be on paper, and how you get people excited about it. It doesn't matter how unified they are about going at it. Without the Lord's blessing, it will accomplish nothing. I think this is another example, an illustration of the Lord's statement, without me, ye can do nothing. Talk of a humbling question. You'll notice in verse 5 how the Lord addressed these seven men in the boat. Jesus said unto them, children. Now, in a prior uh, address, the Lord said, little children, and he used the Greek word tekna. Tekna. That's sort of darling expression. That's friendship. Little children. In this word, he did not use tekna. He used paideon. 
we would get pediatrician from that in the English language. But it's not a little tiny child. It's not even a toddler. It's a half-grown boy or girl. And as he addresses these seven grown men as children, he's pointing out their inaptitude, their, their immaturity, and their inability to do anything that would bring forth good fishing. This was no doubt a startling failure. As I say, they had a boat, they had a net, they had adequate manpower, they had experience, they had time, they were fishing all night, they were on familiar water, Galilee, but they had nothing, nothing. You look at the Christian church today, you just take the lesson and apply this to the Christian church today, we have every advantage. Internet, media, we have methods of spreading the message coming out of our ears. But there's never been a time when the church is weaker, less effective, and perhaps filled with less hope. And that we have to confess. We have to acknowledge the startling failure. Our only hope is for the Lord to show himself again the Lord to come into the midst. And for this we must pray. For this we must get on our knees. The whole church needs to unite as one man, one body of people, and cry to the Lord, Lord, we have all of these things, but Lord, we need you in the midst. We need your grace, your power. Why is prayer so hard? Why is waiting on the Lord so difficult for Christians? Why do we have so many other things to do? And we seem to put that first before prayer. How may we get inspired to really pray? I think we need to learn the hard lesson of our failure to drive us to our knees. And I think that's what the Lord was doing here. Is he doing it with you tonight? and showing you your need for the Lord Himself. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. 
This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdalefpc.ca, and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning, and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdalefpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdalefpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word.